I'm Kate Daniels. If you happen to not recognize the name Eric Weinmayer, I believe that once you meet this amazing man, you'll be infused with the desire to follow a passion you have that's been locked away somewhere. Eric is known in part for being the first blind person to summit Mount Everest, and his book, Touch the Top of the World, tells us the details of that. But his new book, No Barriers, A Blind Man's Journey to Kayak the Grand Canyon, also takes us on part of that journey, along with navigating the Grand Canyon. And more importantly for Eric, provides the invitation to the movement, No Barriers, where we can dust off those dreams we packed away. Let's now meet Eric and be amazed. Eric Weinmayer, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. My pleasure. And let's see, do I say thank you? Yes, great big thanks for being such an inspiration. You have done such incredible things uh, in your life, with your life, that uh, certainly we have to be in awe. But I think beyond that, you don't want someone to be just in awe. You're actually wanting us to uh, take up a challenge, which is really in the name of your new book, No Barriers, we can also create that in our own life, right? Yeah, for sure. In fact, uh, I often think the word inspiration, it's a really well-intended word, but it sometimes says like, oh, that guy is the inspirational blind guy, and he exists over there, and just normal people exist over here. And in a way, it sort of has this backwards effect, which is it separates. And so, you know, all my writing and all my adventuring, you know, what I'm trying to say is that this exists in all of us. I mean, maybe not climbing Everest or kayaking the Grand Canyon, but doing great things. And I want to, you know, connect our experience together. And that's really what No Barriers is about. Well, in terms of kayaking the Grand Canyon and climbing Mount Everest and really climbing all seven summits around the globe, these are things that have really been important to do to just show that there are no barriers because you just happen to have lost your sight. But then doesn't it prove to us that we can find what each of those summits or kayaking are in our own life? Yeah, for sure. In fact, again, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, when I wrote this book called No Barriers, the title might be full of barriers, really. So it's a little bit of an irony on the title, because there are a lot of uh, barriers that hold us back. I mean, that's the reason why people don't go out and do these big, ostentatious, you know, big, audacious things, you know, because they, they get held back by all this myriad of barriers in their life. And so, you know, for me, it's been fun to try to try to understand what those barriers are, to try to illuminate them and try to figure out what that process looks like, you know, from that, I guess, safe, dark place all the way to the mountaintop, whatever that looks like. It doesn't have to be uh, the top of a real mountain like, you know, the path that I chose. But for you, climbing started really at a young age, and it was something that was meaningful because it bonded your family together. So it seemed perhaps a a natural path. Is that safe to assume? Yeah, it was natural for me. Um, We start, you know, so I went blind, and and then sadly my, my mom died in a car accident. So it was like a really crushing time for our family. And my dad decided that he was going to get us together. And we were going to do summer adventures, and part of it was hiking. And it led all the way to the Inca Trail, 
hiking over the Inca Trail into Machu Picchu and my brother's describing this amazing ancient ruin, the sacred city below us. And, uh, you know, I felt like Hiram Bingham just, you know, discovering that city for the first time. And that led to rock climbing and ice climbing and skiing and paragliding and on and on. It's just sort of set the trajectory of my life. And when you look back, and we can find the stories in this book, uh, No Barriers, A Blind Man's Journey to Kayak the Grand Canyon, it's not just about that. Of course, that is focal here. But you touch on so many other of your experiences that we, again, not so much to then to be inspired, but to really be aware of all the opportunities that exist and how you were able to be challenged. People in your life said certain things to you that really were kind of the catapult to move forward and uh, reach out and live this, what I'd call really a grand life. Yeah. In fact, um, what's funny about this new story is that it begins on Everest. So when I came down from Everest in 2001, you know, you're just, you're just crushed, you know, you're just, your legs are done, you know, and your, your face is completely windburned and sunburned and, you know, you're kind of hunched over and you've lost all this weight. And I get down to the bottom of Everest and PVR team leader says to me, pulls me aside and says, you know, don't make Everest the greatest thing you ever do. And that was really shocking because it was bad timing. I was like, PV, you know, let me go home and rest for the next 50 years. <laughs> you know, don't don't try to spur me on to the next thing. And really, it was the best uh, challenge anyone could have ever given me because what he was saying is like, what we, we all have these successes in our lives, you know, and how do you use those as springboards to new adventures rather than allowing them to be the funeral, you know, the thing that stops you and you just rest on your laurels. So yeah, that the book is, and the message is really about that springboard. And there's so much to say about that. I mean, the springboard is not a nice predictable um, movement forward. It's, it's spiraling and twisting and unpredictable and takes some crazy sideways turns. And in fact, Oh, as you tell that story, which I find just awesome because I uh, I don't like cold and that would just be about the, the worst thing for me to be uh, involved in. But for you to have done this and then it really touched the hearts of a school of in uh, Tibet. And that was significant. The stories that you share about that experience and saying how it's not just a simple thing that happens. I mean, that was quite a challenge. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, well, so after Everest, I remember hanging out and getting all these emails around the world, people saying, hey, you know, come to uh, Spain. We want you to run with the bulls. And I'm like, I don't want to get gored by a bull. That doesn't mean anything to me. And I think people were mistaking, like thinking that I wanted to be like, you know, a blind evil Knievel, like, you know, keep doing these stunts. And I didn't want my life to be a series of stunts, you know, that became shallow and meaningless. But I got this letter from this beautiful blind lady from Tibet. She ran a school for the blind in Lhasa, Tibet. Uh, These blind kids in that culture were cursed because of that sense of karma. You know, the fact that, you know, because they're blind, they must have done something wrong in a past life to deserve it. So they're sort of shunned and 
spit on in the streets, and she found kids who were tied to beds uh, in dark rooms. You know, they families loved them, but they didn't think they were safe and could, you know, watch the yaks and thrash the barley, and so they just didn't know what to do with them. So they're tied to beds, and she brought these people out of the woodwork and started a center for the blind and educated these blind kids in Tibet and really changed the culture. And we went over there to add to her mission and uh, we wanted to climb a mountain with the kids. So we trained them and then we took these blind Tibetan teenagers up a 23,000 foot peak and uh, lots of hardship, a very big story there. But ultimately we stood higher than any other team of blind people have ever stood in the world. And I thought that was cool to try to help these kids think big in their lives and do something that nobody in their village, nobody in their families would ever even almost dream of doing. And that obviously had to be life-changing, life-transforming for those kids beyond being able to have the education that they were experiencing. So do you still have contact with them? I do. They're amazing. Uh, I think they're all thriving. Um, Keela is running a a kindergarten for blind and sighted kids. Some of them have uh, opened these really successful massage clinics. And uh, one of them is a a musician. One of them um, graduated from one of the most prestigious schools in China as a blind person, the only blind person to do so. Uh, so the, yeah, these kids are just are just crushing it, and they, you know, it's it's really interesting because when I studied uh, disabilities in Tibet and those in the U.S., some of my work with No Barriers, the organization here in the U.S., I found that you know in Tibet the threat against these kids are are very real. You know, they're sold into slavery, they're thrown out into the streets. Uh, you know, they they have very tough lives, but here in a, in America, we we don't have that kind of direct threat. You know, blind people, disabled people are treated well. People are caring and loving. But yet at the same time, I've been out on expeditions with kids who are blind who had never peeled an orange, you know, or told me they had never peed in the outdoors. Or, you know, they say I get home from school and I sit in my room and I play computer games and I'm not allowed to go out to the mailbox because... Uh, you know, my parents think that I'll get hit by a car. And so I think, you know, we're all kind of in our own prisons in a way. And that, I think, is truly a significant statement uh, that would occur to me as I read through, you know, various parts of the book is how we have, we can live in our own blindness and our own limitations, those kinds of cells that we create. So no barriers really opens up a wave inside of ourselves, uh, I think, to challenge us to find uh, whatever barrier it is that's keeping us from doing something that we'd really love to do in our life, right? Yeah, and you know, I, you know, you just you watch TV and you read books. They're fiction books. They're all fine, but they tie everything up in a nice, neat bow, or they throw out these motivational posters like. You would, you, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And those are fine. They're all well-intended. But I didn't think anyone had ever adequately illuminated what that journey really looked like for people who get stuck, which we all do, not just blind people. We all kind of get stuck in dark places from time to time. And so for me, the book was not 
just my own adventure tale, my own story of kayaking the Grand Canyon, which is a wild experience of a six-year journey trying to figure out how to kayak these massive rapids. But it was also an exploration of what that process of growth and change looks like, you know, and it's, it's a messy process. It's, it's not predictable. Uh, it's the, you don't tie it up with a bow at the end. Uh, but, but, you know, it was fascinating to try to really illuminate what that process looks like, what the elements along the way look like, what we kind of all experience as human beings, whether you're blind or not. And I think that that's uh, part of what is so uh, really illuminating with the story of the kids uh, that you took on the climb, the, the children from the school in Tibet, because you realize that things need to keep changing and find the success where it is. It's not just reaching that peak. You find that you adapt and find different sorts of Everest peaks in your life. Yeah, as one of the characters in the book, this guy Andy Parkin, says uh, it's not necessarily about conquering and pounding your chest and the triumph. It's about adapting and changing. And he's a perfect example because he's a friend of mine who I write about who had a terrible climbing accident, um, fell and just destroyed himself. He was almost every bone was broken and he thought he'd never climb again. And he started painting. Uh, and he thought, you know, in his wheelchair, just painting the mountains, looking out the window. And through painting, he rehabbed himself, and he started climbing again. Uh, not the same way, but in a different way. And in the process, he became a world-class artist. He's a famous artist in Europe now. And they talk about how the fact how his paintings reflect that fragility and that ability to adapt and how we're sort of off balance in our lives always. And... So that was another really cool thing to discover that, you know, as we try to rebuild, as we try to find our way home, we sort of spiral off to these new discoveries, not always, but sometimes. And and that was really a fascinating piece of the uh, puzzle for me. And there are so many of these incredible people who accomplish things like that, paraplegics, climbing mountains, uh, people who have had amputations, and yet they're able to find a way to continue doing what it is that they love or find new things to do that they love in their lives. Yeah, and it's not so easy. You know, they kind of go low to go high. They really get crushed. It's almost like they're, they're shattered in a way. And they let themselves be shattered, and then they figure out, okay, in that rebuilding process, do you, you know, do you protect yourself and shrink and just, you know, try to, try to survive, or do you kind of allow that thing that's happened to you to kind of rebuild you into something better or sort of a beautiful new thing? And it really is a choice, and I just found that fascinating because I think we need a lot more of that today, you know. Um, you know, not that the book is at all political, but, you know, we're just sort of reeling and reacting these days and hyper-focused on these twists and turns that consume our awareness. And no barriers, I think the message is like we have to kind of turn inward and think about what that is that we have inside, that we want to grow, that we want to nurture. I mean, there truly is something inside of us that we got to bring forth into the world and not be so reactionary in life. And you see that with every one of these characters um, that have broken out of that prison.
And that is so wonderful. That is so apt, Eric. And I appreciate your mentioning that because we can apply this to all areas of our lives because there is that that challenge that that we need to really overcome. And, and we can't describe it for each person, but each of us knows what it is that we need to to overcome. And, and this, the book, No Barriers, I think, is a great, uh, what, compilation of so many stories and a great metaphor for each of us to use in our lives. Yeah, I think it is. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, from like, uh, you know, people who are hurt physically to those who are hurt psychologically from you know, folks who are struggling with uh, challenges of the mind. As I write in the book, I mean, if you lose a leg, there's a prosthetic, but there isn't a prosthetic that exists yet for the mind. So a lot of our challenges are 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 mental. And, uh, and so those are some of the trickiest ones that we work with. You know, people go off and they get shattered and then they kind of start mistrusting life. And what we try to do through our programs is to take them on a new journey and kind of reprogram them a little bit, kind of try to rebuild the brain. And so that they understand that, you know, you can trust life, that these journeys do lead you in good places. And that was a whole fun sort of part that I explored, you know, touching on this neuroplasticity idea, you know, the idea that the brain can change, can adapt. And I gotten to do some really cool work in that area um, as a blind person, being a guinea pig for this device called the Brainport, which it almost sounds like science fiction, but it's a a camera that takes a video image that projects through a microprocessor to a tactile plate, a, electrical impulses that that I feel with my tongue on a, like a retainer. So essentially, the light that the camera is seeing is being projected onto my tongue, and so I'm actually feeling the world through my tongue. Uh, and so I've been able to do incredible stuff with this device. It's really hard to learn and use, but it's really, really uh, incredible. And that was fun to, that was a fun side journey. (laughs) And isn't it incredible then how your life has just taken you into such different experiences and territories where you have the experiences to make an impact and help all of us become more aware of what each of us has the potential to do? Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, and I wish mountain climbing was and kayaking was the end all, but as we all know, like, you know, forget mountains and rivers for a minute, like life is full of barriers, you know? And, uh, so I, the threads that run through the message are not just about kayaking, uh, not just about mountains, you know, it's about family. You know, a lot of us have a family that we care about and I have two great kids. And, uh, one of those kids, uh, I, I brought home from Nepal I uh, got to climb Mount Everest in a pile of mountains and then bring home a son, which was really, really incredible. <laughs> better than better than the mountains. But the process of doing that was sort of forcing me to live that message, you know, like turning into the storm and trying to do something that would be important to me. But just the twists and turns of that, Nepal was in the midst of a, of a civil war. So, you know, you're trying to get in, to these appointments and going through all these uh, different bureaucracies, trying to you know bring the son home, and 
Um, you know, people are throwing flaming bricks over your head and AK-47s pointed at, at you in the streets and burning tires. And it was a whole wild experience in itself. At that point, I remember thinking, I wish I was climbing mountains. That'd be way easier than this. And the thing about that is it really brings history to light for us as well, because it's so easy to have glitzed over that part if we even really were aware of when it was happening. So there's another insight that we have is to just experience what goes on in the world that we so easily could be feeling isolated from just because of where we live and what's going on in our own little life, right? Yeah, for sure. The book is definitely, it takes you all over the world. In fact, uh, so, you know, I also, the book shares the title with a movement, an organization called No Barriers. So we work with people with challenges. Uh, and when I say challenges, it's an expansive idea of the word challenge. It's really, you know, it's really kind of all of us. Uh, but we we'll, we travel as part of that experience. And, and we'll take uh, we'll take kids to Peru and Vietnam, we'll take, uh, you know, injured soldiers, injured veterans all around the world uh, to places like Nepal and Ecuador and Peru because, you know, and, and because they, I, I do want them to know that the place, that the world is not a scary place. It, it can be a scary place, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, but, you know, it's really fascinating. We'll have, you know, vets that were hanging out in like a market in Peru and it's a completely friendly safe place and they'll start getting uh triggered a little bit uh because you know it reminds them of a village in Afghanistan and they kind of shut down but in a way that's a good thing you know what i mean they're seeing the world and knowing that they don't have to be afraid of it yes exactly and we can learn more about that naturally through this wonderful book no barriers and of course it's available at all of our favorite book sources uh, uh, right eric yeah it's available everywhere and it's an audible version and uh and yeah if 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 a bookstore doesn't have it then you you you, you storm out and slam the door <laughs> yeah. or or say hey you got to have this book. Order it for me. Yeah, you could do that too, I guess. <laughs> and then, you know, there it mentions uh, the opportunity to do the pledge, the No Barriers Pledge, but also you have the website, which is full of great information and the opportunity to do that as well. Yeah, NoBarriersUSA.org. People can learn about it. And the cool thing is, as I climb, the, as I as I climb these mountains, you know, I do them with a lot of folks with different kinds of challenges. I kayak the Grand Canyon with a friend of mine. Who, his name is Lonnie Bedwell. He's a blind uh, uh, veteran from the Navy, and he's an amazing kayaker. So yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to make these adventures just bigger than like one guy because it's so easy to be like, oh, he's just that blind inspiration. He's that anomaly, and it's it's not the case. So uh, you know, kayaking the Grand Canyon with two blind guys sort of makes it feel more real, like it's kind of this kind of thing is possible for all of us. And so as a result of that, we started the No Barriers Pledge, which is a challenge to people. To take their own to take their own pledge of trying to break through a barrier that's been holding them back in their life, because really the ultimate aim I think of this journey is to kind of make some kind of impact, some kind of contribution to the world, and uh, those barriers hold us back. So, yeah, it's a good thing you can commit to that thing and be a part of the movement. 
So for you, Eric, it's certainly, we know, this huge challenge, beyond a challenge, I think, climbing Mount Everest, kayaking the Grand Canyon. This is, I think, probably in a different way, equally as treacherous because of just these boulders and these huge rapids, but very narrow channels that allow you to get through. So which of those two, is there any way to compare and say one is perhaps a little easier than the other? Yeah, no, definitely. Kayaking, hands down, was the scariest thing I'd ever done. And climbing, I thought, was scary. Uh, There's a famous writer who said, I think I'm paraphrasing, but he said climbing is hours of boredom mixed with moments of sheer terror. Kayaking is is hours of sheer terror mixed with moments of joy. (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly... It's a lot of fear that you're working your way through and being blind, standing at the top of these massive rapids and knowing that you're about to go into this two minutes of just absolute chaos where everything matters. You know, you're you're trying to follow a certain line, a certain map through the rapid, and it can be a complex line. And I know it's game on. Like, I don't want to make a mistake because if you fall off the line, you're exponentially worse off. And I'm listening to a person behind me yelling directions through this high-tech radio, and he's uh, trying to be as precise, but yet you're riding this energy that's bigger than you, way bigger than you, and there's no breaks. There's no like, ah, you know, I'm having second thoughts. No, when you commit, you're going into this thing. And, uh, And I can't see the rapids, obviously, so I'm just reacting to getting hammered and trying to sort of how do you flourish in that kind of environment? That was pretty fascinating for me. Fascinating. Okay, that that's a good word for it. Terrifying is what I was thinking as I read about some of that experience of being just flipped over and, you know, not knowing which way is up. That's totally disorienting and uh, I mean it could end your life. Yeah, it can. And I have a good team around me, so it's not like I'm being crazy. I have a person behind me. I have a person who's picking the line in front. I have a couple friends like at the bottom of the rapid ready to pick up the pieces if necessary. So we try to minimize risk through our preparation and through that team. But yeah, no, you're still, life's a risk. And uh, and there's a threshold uh, between reasonable risk and crazy risk. And I feel like I've always sort of never quite crossed that line. I lay it out there sometimes, but never like in a crazy, meaningless way. But I, you know, I I feel like our lives are sort of an experiment. So yeah, like I say the word fascinating because yeah, terror is part of that process that's fascinating. Like how your body shuts down in the face of fear. You actually have these physical changes. You can't eat, you know, like I'd be dry heaving on the side of these rapids, just like, you know, trying to prepare myself mentally to just embrace all the chaos that's about to occur. And, uh, you know, and then after all that six years of sort of fear, you get these moments, these brief flashes where you're riding through the line. Somehow you've caught that perfect line. And, you know, you can hear these massive waves just crashing against the canyon wall on the left and to the right, like this monster hole with like a guttural sort of deep sound of, water getting sucked down this hole and you're just squeaking right between the two on this perfect line 
and you're no longer thinking. You're like part of the water. You're part of the canyon. And uh, those moments are worth it. That is so incredible and completely awesome, as I feel that you are, Eric, because you offer us this opportunity to find what that is in our own lives. So we have these exhilarating moments of joy, and uh, you give us so many incredible stories in No Barriers a blind man's journey to kayak the Grand Canyon. Uh, of course, that's kind of the, the focus of it, but so many other incredible stories, as you mentioned, about family, about life, about challenges, uh, just uh, here and around the world. And I so appreciate you and all that you are doing and giving us this opportunity as well, Eric. So thank you so greatly for spending time with us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you.